They say you have three names. The one you inherit from your family. The one your parents gave you. And the one you make for yourself. So create the brand of you. Find the job you've always dreamed of and make it yours by going to Irish Jobs, Ireland's online recruitment platform. Take control of your career. Visit irishjobs.ie and move up to the next level you. Irish Jobs. Make a name for yourself. You've heard Jack Benny, Amos and Andy, Bergen and McCarthy, still waiting to entertain you on CBS, are Rocky Jordan, Horace Height, Joe Stafford and Dick Ames, our Miss Brooks, The Whistler and Red Skelton. Now, Del Monte Foods brings you a world of adventure with... Rocky Jordan. The tambourine's closed for the night, mister. Make it tomorrow. Let's see it at once. Mr. Jordan, unlock the door. Well, this had better be good. Now, boy, get in there. No, please, sir. Hey, what You're goes? Hurting me. Inside, I said. Let me go. Please let me go and I make All you right, promise. the kid's far enough, mister. What's it all about? I'm here for the return of my wallet. A wallet containing 500 pounds. Well, look, we all make mistakes, so now... There's no you... mistake. I was here at your tambourine earlier tonight. During that time, this boy stole the wallet from my pocket. Is that right, kid? Effendi, I... I... Well, answer him. Did you or didn't you? It, it is as he says. I stole his wallet and your tambourine, sir. You understand now, Jordan? Not a thing. Including where you get the idea of dragging the kid in here in the middle of the night. Only to give you one chance. Return the wallet to me. Me return it? What are you talking about? So, you refuse. Well, we'll see what the police have to say. Yeah, why don't you do that? There's one right at the corner. Very well. Police! Police! Come! Arrest this man at once! Del Monte, the brand you trust for flavor in so many good foods. Yes, Del Monte the best-liked brand of canned fruits and vegetables in the whole wide world, takes you now to the Café Tambourine in Cairo, gateway to the ancient East, where modern adventure and intrigue unfold against a backdrop of antiquity. Tonight's Rocky Jordan story, The Big Gamble. And you say you saw it happen, Mr. Dollar? That's right, Lieutenant. I saw it happen. It was deliberate hit and run. Uh, you get the license number. Oh, only the first three numbers. M-176. Uh-huh. Now, any other witnesses? Well, I don't know. There were a lot of people around. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean witnesses. Say, uh, what'd you find in his wallet? Our identification. Mickey Snell. He was a fighter. He must have won tonight. He was loaded. Can I see one of those bills? Uh... Uh, yeah, Dollar, but watch it. I have to keep a record. Thanks. It was a $50 bill the lieutenant handed me. In the corner was a number. A number I'd memorized on the plane trip out. The bill on Mickey Snell's body was part of the ransom money I'd paid for the victim I hadn't gotten back. We will return to the second act of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in just a moment. Circle Wednesday night. That's the night George Burns and Gracie Allen drop by to visit with you over most of your CBS stations. Each Wednesday, Burns and Allen bring you 30 minutes of rich laughs and hilarious characters. 
Remember, Burns and Allen this Wednesday night. Now with our star, Edmund O'Brien, we return to the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. I knew Mickey Snell had died for something, and his inglorious death pointed to one of three possibilities. First, Al Basumian's gambling ventures. Second, Gary Medill's insurance on Sidney Rykoff. And number three, the old kidnap-yourself-and-collect-the-ransom type crime, with Mr. Rykoff himself as the suspect. To me, the latter loomed as the most probable. I told the police as little as I could, still operating on the assumption that Sidney would be dead if I spilled what I knew. At 2 o'clock a.m., I went back to my hotel for another half-night's sleep. The next morning, I made up my mind to visit Mrs. Rykoff again. It was such a nice day, I walked. As long as Sidney was missing, there was nothing to do but ask questions until something seemed to make sense. Because everybody had an angle. Basumian might have been paid off, Gary Medill might have been paid off, and Mrs. Rykoff might have been paid off. I took the whole thing up with Mrs. Rykoff as she stood in front of a cracked, full-length mirror, trying half-heartedly to comb the knots out of her hair. You come in here with your oh, lousy accusations. I'm not accusing anybody, Mrs. Rykoff. I'm trying to get at the truth. Now, somebody has your husband, right? Hand me that brush. And somebody has the 25000 right? How should I know? Look, I don't have any interest in Sidney Rykoff. I don't care if he's alive or dead. I don't care about your $25,000. All I know is I'm sick of hearing about Sidney Rykoff, Sidney Rykoff, Sidney Rykoff. A good mind to go out and change my name. You too must have had a fine romance. Oh, he was okay for a while. He was winning steady. I can't stand to go with a guy that can't win. And when he lost... He slept in the hall. Exactly. A man has to fight for me. I ain't just sitting here waiting for losers. And Sidney was winning, wasn't he? Winning? Winning what? With that Medill as his manager, what could he win? What kind of a contract did Sidney have with Medill? <laughs> Medill got everything, including Sidney's third molars. So what was I supposed to do? Look at this place. Sofa needs covers. Boy, could I use some clothes. Tatters. Look here. Seams busting out all over. I like Sidney to win, but I like him to win something big. Maybe you can if you bet on him. Take Pasumian, for instance. Never gamble. Against my whole way of life. And then there's the possibility that you got in debt and knowing about Medill's $100,000 policy on Sidney, talked Sidney into kidnapping himself and writing to the insurance company for ransom. That's a dirty crack. But a pretty fast way to get out of debt. I've been scouting around. You owe a lot of people. I'd put the figure up to around $10,000. For a girl who lives like you do, that's a big sum. You make me mad. Get out of here. Bet you didn't think it would be like this when you first met Sidney, huh? The truth. <laughs> All right, Greco, have your look. Now, boy, about the bowl where Mr. Jordan told you to hide the wallet. There, at the back end of the bar. Stay where you are. I will see. Well, Sergeant? Would you care to see Mr. Jordan? No, no, it figured to be there. Look at it, Mr. Ronson. Is this your wallet? Wait. Yes, yes, it is. And the boy was right. As I thought. Now, we shall return to headquarters. The wallet was planted there. Don't ask me why, but I still say it's a frame. You will have full opportunity to say what you like at the proper time. Come now. And you, boy. Oh, please, Sergeant. It is not that I wish to steal. 
Mr. Ronson would not want me to go to jail. Uh, wait, Sergeant. Yes, Mr. Ronson? Money, everything seems to be still here. You are indeed fortunate. I see no reason to go on with this. Uh, do I understand, sir, that you will not prosecute this... this troublemaker after what has happened? You heard me. I'm dropping the charges. Mr. Ronson, I must advise you to reconsider. I don't need any advice. Now, why don't you take the boy home? I want a word with Mr. Jordan, alone. Uh, very well, sir. But I warn you, Mr. Jordan, you will be under the strictest surveillance. Yeah, sure. See you around, Greco. Mr. Jordan, if That's all, boy. Take him away, Sergeant, quickly. Come away. Goodbye, Mr. Jordan. Well, aren't you going to thank me? Thank you for what? For dropping the charges against you? That depends on why. Of course, you paid the boy to plant the wallet there. Did I? He didn't like his job any too well. You know, it wouldn't be good for the tambourine clientele to know they'd get their pockets picked when they came here. It might ruin business. It makes a good threat, Ronson. Now, what are you after? I'm glad you understand. You see, what I'm after, I intend to get. What do you intend to get? All I want is the use of your cafe and your reputation. Your cellar is quite ample for a few uh, gaming tables. Mm, gambling setup, huh? What else? Rest assured, I have the right uh, connections in this sector. They'll furnish ample protection. Or they could make it rough for you, Jordan. Is that all now, Ronson? Oh, I'm not greedy. I'll even cut you in. Get out of here. Jordan, haven't I made it clear what could happen? Or do I throw you out? Either way. That won't be necessary. Yeah, suit yourself. Just make it quick. I told you I intend to get what I want in whatever way necessary. Think about it, Jordan. Think about it. Until I come back. I watched Ronson walk to the door. He turned, looked back at me, and then went out. Halfway down the block, he was joined by another man. They got into a car at the curb and drove away. I wondered when the next move would come. It didn't that night. I was still watching the next day as I walked toward the Hassan Mart to order some things for my tambourine kitchen. Somebody was following me, all right. Not Ronson or his pal, but a frail, round-faced Egyptian girl. I kept going till I'd made sure, then I ducked into a doorway and waited for her to come by. Looking for somebody, lady? Oh, Fendi, I did not know. You could learn a lot of things about tailing people. Please, I, I did not wish to offend. What I must do is not easy. All right, what is it? You are Mr. Jordan? That's my name. And you are the owner of the Café Tambourine, the man who had some trouble with the boy there last night. I think you know that, too. A Muslim girl such as I cannot go into your café... So I followed, awaiting an opportunity. I am Deborah, the sister of Stefan. I see. I must also be a mother to him, Effendi Jordan. He's in my care alone, but it is not easy. Oh, I understand, Deborah. What did you want to see me about? This morning I learned that my brother had some money. Pound notes. And I knew that he could have not gotten this money honestly. I questioned him. Did he tell you where he got it? Yes, Effendi. I am most ashamed for my brother. He repents also what he has done to you. Well, go on, Deborah. What did he tell you? That the money was given to him by a man named Ronson to perform a certain task. At my cafe? To plant a wallet there and then tell the police I'd hired him to steal yes. it? Yes. The person named Ronson paid him to tell a lie. He offered so much money. Stefan was weak and could not refuse. Not very hard to get Stefan to say things, is it? Effendi... My brother is not an evil boy. 
It is the man Ronson who is evil. Oh, I believe that, Deborah. Listen, you think Stefan would tell the police what he told you? Oh, I'm certain he would, but, but he's so afraid. Of what? Of the man Ronson. Oh, Mr. Jordan, if you would go with him to the police. Sure, Deborah. Take me to your brother. I flagged a taxi and we rode east through winding streets to the hills that hold much of Cairo's worst native sector. This looked like the way out for me to get Sergeant Greco off my trail and at the same time to get some kind of indictment against Ronson. Anything to scotch his plans for taking over the tambourine. We turned onto the Sharia Wisik, nothing more than an alleyway with overhanging rooftops that almost met above the street. Everything spelled poverty. And inside one of the buildings, it was even worse. Near the top of a long flight of stairs, Deborah opened a door. Stefan was there. Stefan, I have brought Mr. Jordan. Hello, kid. Deborah, do not bring him here. I do not wish to see him. I'm taking you to the police, Stefan. You can tell them the truth now. No. No, I will not go. You cannot make me. But it was your promise that you would tell them all that you have told me. I have told nothing. I ask you to go away quickly from here. Look, kid, this will square things for everybody. I've got nothing against you, not anymore. I do not care how you feel. I will not go. Mr. Jordan, what can we do? I'll show you what we can do. Come on, Stefan, whether you want to or not. Don't touch me, Jordan. <gasps> Deborah, you see now. Mr. Ronson warned me not to say he was here. Nick, Chuck, come on in. Hold your guns to the boy's head. Don't hesitate to use them if you have to. Oh, Mr. Jordan, I did not realize... Wait, Deborah. Is it clear now, Jordan? The boy's going to tell nothing. Please, what will you do with my brother? That depends on Mr. Jordan. You see, I still want the tambourine for my purpose. What makes you think threatening a boy's life gets it? Because I think I know you better now. You show slight regard for your own welfare, but perhaps the life of another. Your big connections don't cover murder. Don't tell me to prove otherwise. What happens to this boy is entirely in your hands. I'll take the boy out. No! Deborah, do not let them take me! They will Hurry take up! Me. Deborah! Stephen! Look, Ronson, killing the boy is not what you want. That wouldn't get your gambling into my cafe. But it would impress you. I have still other ways of getting what I want if this one fails. Mr. Jordan, please. For my brother's life, I beg you. Well, Jordan? Whatever you say, Ronson. Just let him go. Hmm, not so fast. We'll keep the boy undercover till everything's set up. Then let me go with him. He must have my care. Please let me go with him. Why not let her go with him, Ronson? Whatever you say, Jordan. Why not? Anything... Or my partner. Del Monte Foods is presenting tonight's adventure with Rocky Jordan. Now that the days are getting warm, it probably seems as if every member of your family gets thirsty a dozen times a day. You've probably wished lots of times for just one easy, refreshing drink that everyone in the family will like. And I think you'll find it in Del Monte Pineapple Juice. That's right, Larry. Del Monte Pineapple Juice has a special kind of refreshing flavor that tastes good from breakfast to bedtime. Really, this sunny, healthful juice does offer you an extra dividend of refreshment. A golden tropic flavor. Such a perfect balance of tartness and sweetness you find in fully ripe pineapples and nowhere else. Del Monte starts with truly exceptional, superior pineapples. Picks them ripe and packs them fast. And the flavor result is something to taste in every... You see, as I, as I told you before... Ruth... 
Ruthie. Oh, Ruthie. Who did it? What monster? Who did it to you? Who? Who? The man, trembling with it, shivering with it, scurried from wall to wall, enraged at the wound the death of his child had clawed across his heart, torn inside his throat. The helpless, futile rage of the animal whose small range of understanding has been kicked, beaten, thrown against the barbed wall of violence. <laughs> not once, not once more did he look at his child. Now try only to wipe out the memory, try to strangle the long-ago laughter and sobs that the child had let echo through him. And finally, the collapse the heap on the concrete floor. And you call quietly to the officer on duty to help you lift the man, carry him to a place where he can sleep away the fury of his dead. Then back to your office and close the door on it. And stand at the window, watching the squalls of the nighttime wash against it, beat against it, and then stare at the walls, and then hear the door open for it to let it all in again. Danny? Danny? What do you want? Well, Dr. Sinsky's report. He was busy on another. He asked me to bring it to you, so... Leave it on my desk. All right. You're not going to look at it, Danny? Why? I know what's in it. Well, I thought I did, too, till I glanced it over on the way to your office. You better take a look at You're it. You're so eager, I don't want to spoil it for you. Tell me about it, Muggerman. Danny. You tell me, huh, Muggerman? We've had other kids who... And this one's no different. That all, Muggerman? That's what I've been trying to tell you. This one is different. Just what you saw when you first found her. That's what's in the report. Beaten, skull fractured with the butt of a gun. Nothing else. Then give me a motive. Give me another motive why a 14-year-old child should... Clover speaking. Sergeant Tartaglia at this end. Homicide, Danny. Woman in backyard of house at 1845 West 11. People named Murray. Upstairs wants you on it. Shall I tell him you're agreeable, Danny? Tell him I'm... Bring me a motive, Muggerman. Upstairs wants me to run an errand. She's over here, Mr. Clover. Right here. Dead. Beaten. I'd say her skull had been fractured, Mr. Murray. Oh, I don't understand it. I just don't understand it. Tell me what happened. We were sitting in the library. A knock came on the back door. I wanted to answer it, but Beatrice said I looked so comfortable. She... There was just you two in the library. You and your wife. And sis. Sis? My sister Claudia. She can't hear anything. She's deaf. She never goes out of the house. I take care of her. Well, who's in the house with her now? Who's playing that organ? Oh, uh, sis plays. I see. Go ahead. Well, there was this knock on the door, and Beatrice went to the door, and I, I, I heard her talking to someone. At least I think I did. I want you to know I'm not sure about that. I kept reading, that's all, and sis was practicing. Didn't your wife scream? Didn't you hear any... No, sound? no, 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 I didn't. I, I happened to look up my book a little later... After she went to the back door. How much later? Well, I don't know. I looked up and she still wasn't there. She... she hadn't come back yet from answering that knock on the door. That's right. So 
I went out back. The back door was still open, but there wasn't anybody there. I called to her, and then I, I started toward the alley, and I, I stumbled. I, I stumbled over Beatrice. Hmm? Perhaps there is a mistake. <clears throat> Very well, that will be all, but... Jordan. Huh? What now? I somehow sense that you are faced with a decision, one entirely your own. Let me only advise you. No matter for what purpose, there is no escaping the law, either of Allah or man. You understand? I'll let you know when I figure it out. Good day, Jordan. So I was in it up to murder now, and still I didn't dare open my mouth. When I got back to the cellar, Florio's remains were already gone. Bronson was real efficient that way. Well, I'd started my gamble, and I knew it was time now to throw in some more chips. I had to find Stefan and Deborah. They were the only answer I could give to Sam or anybody else for what had happened. I walked down the street a couple of blocks, the eyes of Ronson's men on me all the way. After buying an afternoon paper, I strolled slowly back till the right beggar came along. Bakshish Effendi, for the poor, helpless blind. Keep walking, Joby. The blind must beg for piastres, Effendi. Only a coin or two. Yeah, sure. Here you are. Ah, Futushak here. I'll appraise you. I don't mention it. I always hand out five-pound notes. Oh, but you are mistaken, Effendi. This is but a one-pound note. <laughs> what year? 1948. It is the delicate sense of touch, Effendi. Forget your racket, Joby. I got a job for you. But what could a poor blind man do, sir? Watch a man named Ronson. You'll spot him at my cafe tambourine. Watch him always. Follow him. As you say, I will not take my eyes off of him. When you find out where Ronson has a boy and his sister hidden, come and tell me. But not till then. They will be found. But uh, about the five-pound note. You find them and I'll double it. Now, Imshi, and don't look back. Alwa Effendi. Bakshis! Bakshis! Joby was a shaky risk, but I had a count on him. Nothing came from him that night or the next day. By then, Ronson had my cellar ready for customers. He moved his crew in that... Went away the life of the child, Ruth. Why? Tell me why. I'll go out and buy my own pack of cigarettes. If I had gold, you could have it, Danny. No strings to it. No. For the question you ask, go consult a specialist. A man who puts the microscope of his training to the emotions. The department psychiatrist? Yes, to him. Perhaps he will agree with me. And I'm only an amateur, a dabbler, mind you, Danny, that this violence, this ugly bestial violence, has been committed by what is called a paranoid. I've read about them. Had them screaming in my office. They dream up hates against themselves. They just... For this they kill. An animal, a child, a woman. Excuse me, Danny. Come in, please. Oh, looking for me, Gino? Yeah, Danny. Fresh homicide. Alley on West 10th. Buckman's got a squad call. Let me finish got... my cigarette, Tartaglio. Well, sure, Danny. Well, sure, if you want. It's finished. A woman, Danny. Yeah. Put your flash on her. Hold it. Hold it right there. Where's that music coming from? Uh, apartment upstairs. Huh? Danny? The back of her head, it's... Uh-huh. Keep your flash still. We've seen it two times already. 
A short space. And this makes three. It made three. The woman staring into the beam of the flashlight Mugman held close to her face, staring in the final disbelief that this had happened to her in this place, in this time. She lay in awkwardness, her dress disarranged, her hand where it had frozen, trying to straighten the wisp of blood-clotted hair under her black straw hat. The alley wind found the white lace at her throat, riffled it, and the murdered woman made three. You're listening to Broadway's My Beat, written by Morton Fine and David Friedkin, with Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover. The Peggy Lee Show bowed in over most of these same CBS stations last Sunday night. Folks who heard it will be back tomorrow for more of Peggy's charm, Peggy's vocals, Peggy's previews of coming popular musical events. Enjoy the Peggy Lee Show for lighthearted summer listening at the Star's Address. The night music of summer spills into Broadway from the scarred throats of the loudspeakers hanging over the record shops. And this summer's kids, in the off-the-shoulder cottons and the transparent California sports shirts, squeeze each other into the doorways and lap it up. And then someone shrills a new diversion in a new shop window on a new corner, and Broadway's youth rebops on down to it. It's an old ceremony on Broadway, this dancing in the streets, and the sweating barker with a fistful of passes to happy upstairs lands, just the price of the amusement tax, kid. That's old, too. The girl in the swimsuit lying on the billboard beach, never aging, but old. And the touch of summer's night on your eyelids, that's familiar, too. It's all happened to you before. And where I was, where Mugovan was, it had happened before, too. To a 14-year-old girl named Ruth. To Mrs. Beatrice Murray. And now to the woman lying dead in an alley, not feeling the touch of the man who at first timidly and then with effort twisted the purse out of her hand. She was holding on to it so tight, Danny. Open it. So tight. Yeah. Killed the same way as the other two, wouldn't you say, Danny? Uh Uh-huh. Maybe our fair city's being honored with a mad killer, huh? Maybe. Sick man with a grudge against women, even if they're a kid. Looks like it. How long does it take to go through the purse, Mugovan? I'm just sorting the unnecessary stuff, Danny. Tissues. And don't settle for less. Back now to Rocky Jordan for the conclusion of tonight's story. Joby scooted off to get the police, and in a few seconds, I spun my car out of the dark alley and turned down the hill toward the Nile. I parked near the Bulak Bridge and made my way to the water's edge. I spotted the little houseboat with one of Ronson's heavies guarding the narrow gangplank that led to shore. So I moved a little way upstream and did some swimming till I was able to pull myself over the rail of the houseboat on the riverside. Just as I hit the deck, the guard heard me. He came running around, saw me too late. One try at his midsection, caved him in. Then it was man overboard. What's going on out here? Who's there? Don't you know me, Ronson? I'm your partner. Jordan, what are you doing here? Just looking around. Get off this boat. How till I see who's inside? Keep out of there. Jordan, you saw what I did to Florio. That's what you want. Well, the knife won't work this time, Ronson. <laughs> Drop it. Drop it. Jordan! That's enough. All right, Ronson. Oh. 
Uh, like I said, we'll see who's inside. Deborah! Deborah, is he Mr. Jordan? Effendi Jordan, we feared you would never come. Well, it's all over now, Deborah. Bonson won't bother you anymore. Then we are free to go back to our home? Stephen, you promised to tell some things to the police, remember? Oh, I'm sure that he remembers. Yes, I wish to tell the police everything and to prove to them that you did no wrong. Now, you've got yourself a big job, Stephen. But let's go. Well, we left Ronson's pal still splashing around in the river. I dumped Ronson into my car, along with Deborah and a kid brother. We all went down to headquarters. Sam Sabaya was there this time. Seems he'd been real busy locking up a lot of rioters for my tambourine. And more were to be picked up later. Stephen and Deborah told Sam everything they knew, and I filled in the rest. And a little later, Sam and I went back to have a look at my tambourine cellar. Well, Jordan, the rioters did a most thorough job. The place is torn to bits. Yeah, didn't miss a thing, did they, Sam? That's all right with me. Yes, I know. The beggar named Joby has told me how you contrived to have Florio's men raid your tambourine and then send for the police. Maybe there was a better way. I don't know. Your motives were of the best, Jordan. That is the important thing. Anyhow, you got Ronson. For illegal gambling, a charge which is worth little in Cairo. The murder of Florio, perhaps, although... The proof might not be so easy. With me as the only witness. But Ronson's kidnapping of the boy can be definitely proved. And that is enough. Sam, you might want to throw a few questions at a two-bit politician named Ephraim Bay. <laughs> I did not tell you, did I, Jordan? Hmm? It seems that Ephraim Bay stepped in the way of a flying chair at the height of the excitement. <laughs> he is in the hospital. No. Hurt bad, Sam? No. But in some difficulty. At the moment, he is trying to explain to the commissioner how he could be here and know of gambling in this sector, yet never report it to the police. That'll give him a headache. If he does not already have one. Well, I will tell you good night now, Jordan. Uh, good night, Sam. Maybe we can both get some sleep for a few nights now. <laughs> Would you like to bet on that, Jordan? Bet on it? Sam, you know I never gamble. <laughs> For superb flavor, for dependable quality always, enjoy Del Monte fruits and vegetables. Remember, buy wisely. Buy for flavor. Buy Del Monte. The brand you trust for flavor in so many good foods. Rocky Jordan, written by Larry Roman and Gomer Cool, stars Jack Moyles in the title role with Jay Novello as Sam Sabaya, and is produced and directed by Cliff Howell with original music composed and conducted by Richard Arunt. Remember, you have a date next week at the Cafe Tambourine, run by Rocky Jordan. Same time, same station. And the story is The Mystery of Carl Kleist. Sure as you keep flour and sugar handy, you should have Del Monte crushed pineapple, too. Here's all the tart, sweet, tropical flavor of Del Monte pineapple in a style that's especially convenient for gelatin salads, baking, or ice cream. Ask your grocer for Del Monte crushed pineapple tomorrow.
Larry Thor speaking. Rocky Jordan is presented over CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. 